As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work too. Hey, it's great to be with you. Um, my name's Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at, at Grace Church in Norton. Uh, glad you're here. Glad you're tuning in. Um, this time of year can get a little confusing. It's officially fall. Feels like summer, but could turn to winter at any moment. So enjoy this while you can, right? Well, I want to get right into it because uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, up to this point in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul has given us a lot of theology, a lot of theology and some powerful prayers. But now he's, he's moving on to what these truths look like. Uh, I'm going to say wearing walking shoes. Uh, he's, he's asking, what are the implications of all these truths for our lives? You see, Paul wants us to put it into practice. Faith is, is not just a, a mental exercise. It's a way of life. It's, it's action-oriented. Now, if you're here and, and you're just investigating what all this is about and this whole Jesus thing, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus to follow him and, and rearrange your priorities around him, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening in. Um, some of this may not make sense because, you know, Paul's talking a lot about a, a family business uh, at, here in, the, in this passage, but still, I, I pray these truths will will help maybe answer some questions that, that you've been having. So I just want to pray for us as we get started. So if you would, just uh, pray with me. Uh, Father, pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to your word. Lord, help us to listen. Lord, use your church, to, your truth, um, and the church, Lord, as, as we gather, as we come together to, to bring change in our lives, in our communities, in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunities that, that you've given us today to or just uh, read from your word, to study your word together. Uh, 
Lord, pray that you are magnified through all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in classic Paul style, um, he doesn't waste any time. He, he's laid the foundation in the first three chapters and, and prayed that, that we would know and experience the power and blessing of being forgiven and redeemed and reconciled and loved and chosen, saved and sealed. And then he, he basically starts chapter four with this convicting question. He says, if all these things that I've just said in these last three chapters is true, does your walk match your words? Does your behavior match your beliefs? Does your talk match your relationship with Jesus and all these spiritual blessings we've just talked about? He's saying, live what you've learned. Now, my wife Jennifer and I, we went to a marriage conference this past summer, and one of the takeaways was marriage never stays static. It's, it's always moving or drifting. In other words, we're either walking intentionally toward oneness with Christ, or we're drifting toward self-centeredness and isolation. We're either in it, working on it, striving toward something, or we're, we're drifting down a slippery slope of mediocrity and dysfunction. You see, you can talk all you want about the importance of a healthy relationship and a thriving marriage, but if you're not intentionally working on it, you're not walking toward a thriving marriage, but drifting into dangerous territory. Now, I need to confess something that will make, I think, sense as I talk about it, but uh, I think this is a good time to tell this story. This, this past summer, we had the opportunity to go to the Canadian Rockies. It was kind of a bucket list trip for me. But in order to get away from the crowds, we, I knew we were going to have to get out in some of the backcountry areas and do some longer hikes, remote areas, which is pretty awesome, except for the fact there are grizzly bears all throughout the park. Now, I, I listened to podcasts, I, I read up on hiking in bear country, and the best thing you can do to deter an attack is, is hike in a group of four or more. So we had five people, we were good. I said, make noise, don't, don't run, <laughs> and carry bear spray. Uh, bear spray, if you're not familiar with it, is this red pepper oil that, that is in an aer aerosol can. It sprays about 30 feet. Uh, bears don't like it, and really, it's not pleasant for us either, as we're going to find out in a moment. Um, so one of the things that we did was, one of the first things we did is we went to a bike shop to rent bear spray. Now, my brother had been to Glacier, and, and they had gotten a bear spray for each person. So I approached the young man behind the counter, and I asked about their bear spray, and I said, hey, we're, we're going to need to rent five cans. And he just kind of looked at me and, and laughed and said, for a group your size, you're only going to need one, maybe two cans. Well, I thought, great. Uh, I was okay with that because it was going to save us a lot of money. Jennifer, however, was not okay with that. Uh, she wanted to feel safe. She wanted to rent at least a, a third can. And so we went back and forth. And, <laughs> and then I said something that as soon as I said it, I regretted it. I mean, has that ever happened to you? I said, I'm not going to pay another $50 for your fear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was bad. Uh, here's what I should have said. If it will make you feel more comfortable, I will do whatever we need to do. <laughs> 
So I did, I, I apologized. I knew as soon as I said it, ooh, that was, that was harsh. Um, I did apologize soon after that. And guess what? She, she didn't hear me say it. That's probably a good thing. Um, so anyhow, we got two cans, one for the front person and one for the person who'd be trailing behind. Um, but we did see a grizzly and there, here's a picture of, we, we called him Grizzly Greg. Um, we did see, it was, it was along the road, <laughs> thankfully, because I thought, yikes, if we had seen that on the trail, three cans seems like a really good idea. Well, <clears throat> later that week, I was, I was hurrying to empty my day pack and so we could use it for groceries. The grocery store we were at didn't have bags. And, and so I'm hurrying, so I could, they're already shopping. I ran to the car, I'm doing this. All of a sudden, my eyes start watering, my nose starts burning, it starts running. I can't stop coughing. You see, as I was <laughs> emptying my day pack, the safety slipped off my can of bear spray, and I actually bear sprayed myself. Um, it's pretty ironic. Um, so we had a good old fashioned 45 minute ride back to our rental with all the windows down. Uh, we'll come back to this, but what I want you to see was in that moment when I said what I said, my words were not in line with my love and relationship, my care and concern for my wife. You see, in the same way, is your talk consistent with your relationship with Jesus? Does your walk with Jesus match all the talk about Jesus? Does your daily behavior match your beliefs about being a child of God? You see, I, I think one of the greatest causes of unbelief in our world is, is not the theory of evolution, it's, it's not postmodernism, it's not new age philosophy, it's not the media or Holly Weird. I, I believe it's one thing, the failure of followers of Jesus to live like followers of Jesus. The failure of Christians to live out their faith for their lives to reflect the Savior they worship. The failure of the church to look different as it functions in unity and humility. You see, the world watches and when we fail to get along, when we fail to practice what we preach, when we fail to live out our conviction, when we teach love but practice hatred, when we fail to serve a world that's hurting, we destroy the beauty of what God has done, is doing, and is leading us into. We destroy the reputation of the gospel to change and transform lives. Bertrand Russell, an atheist philosopher, once said, if Christians practice what they believed, they would change the world. Gandhi once said he would love to become a Christian. He was just waiting to meet one. Ouch. In response to all this, Paul writes Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, a worthy walk is defined by consistency. A worthy walk is defined by consistency. First, notice Paul reminds them he's a prisoner of the Lord. He starts chapter three the same way. It's a reminder that our Christian walk can be costly. It can be dangerous, risky, unpopular. But it's also a reminder that Paul had an eternal mindset. He might be in prison, but even in chains, he's pursuing the calling he's received. He said, well, what is this calling? Paul has just spent three chapters explaining it. You see, they were, they were far from God, without hope, dead in sin, separated from the family of God, with no hope for the future, but now. 
but now they've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, welcomed into the family of God, guaranteed a future, gifted access to the incalculable riches, love, and grace of God through Jesus Christ. This is their calling, and if you're, you're in Christ, it's yours as well. So he urges us to live a life worthy of all this. Worthy has the idea of, of weight. For example, in sports, we might say, well, he was a worthy opponent. A worthy opponent is one whose, whose abilities equal our own. So what Paul means here is that he wants the weight of our practices to equal the weight of the truths that he's just told us. John says it pretty plainly. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I see, how are these riches, blessings, and truths affecting my walk? See, the, the goal of an encounter with the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus is a transformed life. Our, our lives look different. They look like Jesus. Today and over the next few weeks, Paul's going to give us a glimpse of what that looks like. Well, on this trip, uh, we had to drive to Toronto because uh, I found some super cheap flights from there. So we stayed at a hotel overnight and, and parked our car for the week. And so I went into the hotel to check in and, and, and the attendant looked at my reservation and, and said with what I felt was a, a real measure of respect, he says, well, Mr. Carey, I, I see you're a blue member with us and then proceeded to give us bottles of water, not just the, the lukewarm room temperature ones, but went to the fridge. And I thought to myself, I, I had no idea I was a blue member, but whatever it is, it must be special. And so I, you know, of course I had to play it up with my family. We need extra towels, ah, I'll call, I'm a blue member. Uh, you need this or that, I'll take care of it. I'm a blue member. I was feeling, feeling pretty good about my elite status until my daughter-in-law looked it up and we realized a blue member is the lowest tier and basically means you've stayed at their hotel chain before. <laughs> this leads to our second point. A worthy walk is driven by humility. A worthy walk is driven by humility. Paul says in verse two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And notice Paul doesn't begin with a bunch of rules and regulations. Here's your code of conduct. Here's how to, here's how to look the part. No, he starts with virtues and relationships. To live worthy of our calling is to be in a community that does life together well, walking humbly and gently and patiently and bearing with one another in love. And just having reminded us of our newfound freedom and new life in Christ, he doesn't load us down with a bunch of requirements. He encourages us to walk in a new way with, with a bounce in our step. Remember last week, Aiden pointed out, that, out the, the way Paul prayed for them. Paul said, I kneel before the Father for you guys. In other words, a worthy walk, a worthy prayer life even is driven by humility. Humility and loneliness meaning, means uh, putting others before your, yourself. In fact, not thinking of yourself at all. It means not trying to prove yourself or becoming overly defensive when someone uh, maybe says something you don't agree with. And see, the best picture of this is Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. I'm, I'm going to read it in the message because I love how Eugene Peterson says this. He says, don't push your way to the front. 
Don't sweet talk your, your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. You see, humility keeps the gears of my life and the church greased through lowliness, putting others ahead of myself. Through gentleness, Pastor Adam did a great job explaining this this past summer as we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And gentleness being strength under control. Patience, and another part of the fruit of the Spirit, trusting God's timetable. Uh, bearing with one another in love, literally to put up with someone in love in order to benefit them. You see, these attitudes are, are great concepts. It's like, yeah, it's a great concept. But what does it look like lived out? I love the story Watchman Nee tells about a, a farmer in China who became a follower of Jesus. And he, he had this rice field high up on the, on the hill. And uh, during the growing season, he would use this hand-worked water wheel to, to lift water from the stream below up to his fields. As you can imagine, it, it took time. It was hard work. Well, his, his neighbor had two fields below his and one night decided to make a hole in the dividing wall between their fields, and he, he drained the Christian farmer's fields to fill his own. And seeing what happened, uh, the follower of Jesus once again pumped water up to, to his field, only to have his neighbor steal it again. And it happened not twice, not three times, four times in a row. He's getting angry, so he goes to the elders of the church, and it's like, I need advice, what, what should I do? I tried to be patient and not retaliate, but I don't know what to do. So they spent some time praying together, and then one of them spoke up. And I, I want you to hear this, because I think it's so important. He said, if we only try to do the right thing, surely we are very poor Christians. We have to do something more than what is right. We have to do something more than what is right. The farmer took his, this, his advice and the next day he went out, he pumped water to his neighbor's field first and then filled his own. I don't know about you, but I think that's an amazing story. Eventually these two neighbors were reconciled and began to follow Jesus together. And see, that's living a worthy walk demonstrated by humility, which greases the wheel of, of gentleness and patience and putting up with one another in love. Our relationships with others, our unity together depends on these attributes. As we make peace with one another in humility, we maintain the unity that we have in Christ. It's provided and empowered by the Spirit of God, preserved and maintained as we live in peace with one another. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see, a worthy walk is demonstrated by unity. I think this is fascinating to think about. I, I believe if it weren't for, for the church, some of us might never spend time together. Our opinions, hobbies, passions, preferences, where we live, where we're, where we're from, 
what we love, where our kids go to school are so different that we would never run in the same circles, maybe never choose to spend time together. And yet in Christ, we've been united together as family and here we are worshiping, learning, serving together. We are united in the body of Christ. Paul, Paul loves using this metaphor. The picture is that we're all a part of the same body and as, as we work together in unity, the, the eye, the foot, the heart, the gut, all working together, the body functions and grows as it should. The church is not just an organization, it's an organism. It's a living body in which all the parts are connected by the head, Jesus Christ. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can produce. This is the power of the church. The power of the church is, is not getting enough Christians together to swing a vote. The Spirit is the true power of the church. He holds us together in unity. And when the church is unified, its gears greased with humility, it's an unstoppable force for the gospel, the good news of Jesus. One pastor states it like this, we are God-created, God-loved, God-saved, God-fathered, God-controlled, God-sustained, God-filled, and God-blessed. We are one people under one sovereign, all-powerful, and all-present God. Many years ago, uh, Jeff and I were at another conference and an announcement was made that some of our Hispanic churches in Tampa were, were holding a community festival that could use some help. We thought, you know, we're in the area, it sounds like fun. Um, my three years of high school German were not much help. Um, and, and of all the things, when we arrived, they said, we're, we're gonna put you on parking duty. And so I have these families and individuals rolling down their windows and asking me questions in Spanish. And I have no way to communicate other than to point, which apparently was not always a good answer to their question. So one of the men, Fernando, saw my, my struggle and started to help me, but we weren't out there long because this good old fashioned Florida lightning storm rolled in. Jennifer was smart, she, she ran into the church building. I, find my, I found myself in this little 10 by 10, 10 by 10 tent with about 20 other people who didn't speak much English. I, I asked Fernando, I was talking to Fernando and it's like, you know, who are the people under this tent? And, he introduced me to this person who's from Cuba and this person who's from Puerto Rico and, and this person is from Colombia and this person's from Honduras and this person's from Guatemala and on it went. They were all a part of this Hispanic church but were from different countries, different parts of the world, different cultures. And Fernando said, do you know what's amazing? He said, we're, we're from different countries and many of our countries, we, we don't get along. We don't like each other. Our cultures are different. But here we are under the same tent, serving and worshiping Jesus together. What a beautiful picture of unity. Unity is so important. It, it's, it's what distinguishes us. And it's impossible without Jesus. Paul makes this clear, verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Seven times he says, there's one. And, and three of these are directed to God, one spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. In other words, the unity in the Christian community is based on the unity of the Trinity. The unity in the Christian community is based on the unity of the Trinity. 
Our unity is a reflection of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, working together in perfect harmony. You ask, well, well how, well, how well do the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit get along? I would say quite well. <laughs> the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. The Son points to the Father. The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. They work together and provide us with a demonstration of unity and community. God has provided the unity in the Trinity that is the basis for the unity in the community. What Paul when but Paul recognizes that like, this, is, this is beautiful, this is great, but it won't always be easy. Earlier, he said, make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's an effort, why? You see, in, in a family, we're not always gonna get along, are we? I mean, just think about the last family road trip. You see, just because Jesus has formed us into one community doesn't mean that unity just happens. Think about marriage. When a couple gets married, their lives are united together. The two become one. It's a new reality. It's something that God does. But just because the two become one doesn't mean they become the same. I think one of the best things we've ever done as a couple is to buy a car with a dual air control. I mean, there's times when I have the thermostat on my side of the car set at 65 and Jennifer has hers blast at the 80. I mean, we're, we're wired differently. In the same way, just because we're one in marriage doesn't mean we can agree, we can agree how much bear spray we need. I mean, we don't agree on everything, but I should note we can be nice about it. We can be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in it. So if this is true on the level of marriage, how much more is this going to be true when we come together as one united people in Christ? I mean, I suspect we'll run into some challenges. I'm sure not everyone agrees with Pastor Aiden that the first Jurassic Park movie is a cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> we're not gonna agree on our favorite college football teams. We're, we're different, that's how different we are. Maintaining unity is work. That's why Paul urges us to bear with one another, literally put up with each other. And the same words actually used elsewhere in the New Testament for enduring persecution. But when we keep the main thing, the main thing, when we keep Jesus and the good news story of Jesus, the cross and the resurrection at the center of all we do, small things don't matter. Personal preferences, opinions, feelings, peculiar leanings fade away in light of the power and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The things that unite us are far more important than the things that divide us. But understand, unity is not uniformity. We don't have to wear the same clothes, agree on the best movie. We don't have to agree on music, sports, politics, flavors of ice cream to be, be united in Christ. However, there's one thing we do need to agree on, and that is unity is not optional. The unity we share with each other is based on the fact that we're, we've committed our lives to Jesus. There's one body because there's one spirit. There's one faith because there's only one Lord. There is one God and Father, and we are all brothers and sisters in this family. It's the worthy walk that he's called us into. In our passage then, Paul goes from talking about y'all to yuns. In other words, he, he, he goes from talking about all to each one. 
And he makes the argument that unity is best displayed through diversity. In verse 7, but to each one of us has been given, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You see, a worthy walk is displayed by diversity. It's displayed by diversity. Grace here means the, the ability to perform the tasks that God has called us to do. We've been given a gift of the Holy Spirit for the common good of the body of Christ. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 12. In other words, there are no personal private gifts. They weren't given for us. They were given to be used together with others for others. These gifts work in conjunction with one another independently. That's why we need each other interdependently. That's why we need each other. There are no spare parts in the body of Christ. Everyone is needed or the body begins to limp. That's why when someone says, ah, I don't need church, it's simply not true. <laughs> Many times what they're saying is, I don't want to be held accountable. I just want to do my own thing. That's not a worthy walk because a worthy walk can't be lived in isolation. You need the church and the church needs you. Now I realize some of you may be listening online. This is your only connection. You may have reason, uh, reasons why you can't participate in a local church gathering. Your circumstances are unique. But if there's any way you can find Christian fellowship and connection through a local church or a group or another individual, seek that out. Even if those conversations are online or, or FaceTime or, or via the phone, we need each other. Proverbs 18 says, an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. A different version says it this way, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. You see, we're not to isolate ourselves. We don't walk alone. We sometimes talk about having a, a personal relationship with Jesus, and, and there is a personal aspect in which he's transforming each one of us. We're abiding in him. But too often we've interpreted this, interpreted this to mean that, that we have a private relationship with Jesus. And the truth is our relationship with Jesus was never meant to be private. The diversity of gifts require us to work together. There's over 70 commands we can't obey in, in isolation. Part of our worthy walk is to live with, serve, and love people outside ourselves uh, with humility and patience. We walk worthy together, not as individuals. We walk with others who walk with God. We help each other walk. We encourage one another. We gotta love Paul because we're tracking with all this, and then he quotes from Psalm 68, and it can leave us scratching our heads a little bit. He says, but each one of us, <clears throat> grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. I'm going to try and explain this briefly. Jesus didn't come only to ascend. He ascended into heaven, <clears throat> into heaven only because he first descended from heaven to us when he came and gave his life for us. And so the spiritual gifts have their origin in the victory of Christ over death, his victory over the grave and his enemy. 
All these gifts are related to humility. The way up is down. Greatness is found in serving. These gifts come from Jesus. And so we read in verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Again, Paul changes direction a little. Instead of talking about giving gifts to people, he's talking about giving gifted people to the church. And the first two were very important in getting the church started, and it's debated whether these roles or, or the aspects of these roles are still around today. But today, I'm just going to talk about the pastor. What is their role? And it's a beautiful picture, but I believe we miss it sometimes. Paul is saying that the role of a pastor teacher, the role of pastors is not to bear the sole responsibility for doing the work of ministry in the church, but to equip all of us for doing the work of ministry in the church. The, work for, the, the word for equipping here is the same word that when Jesus finds his soon-to-be disciples mending their fishing nets. They were mending or preparing their nets. It's the same word. They were getting their nets ready for their intended purpose. In other words, the responsibility of the pastor teacher is to encourage and help others become all they are meant to be. To equip people to use how God has created and shaped them to serve others. Well, what's this saying? It's saying ministry is not the job of of, of trained professionals, hired staff, or appointed leaders. Ministry is the job of each one of us. We've each been given a gift to build up the body of Christ, to contribute to its function, to fulfill the role that God has given his church to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We're to use the gifts given to us by Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to help the church, to help the people around us to grow, to help it flourish, to, to help it be a city on a hill that can't be mistaken for anything else but from God. In other words, church was never meant to be a spectator sport. A Christian couch potato is, is, a, is an oxymoron. It's weird. Like, like a baby with a beard. I mean, imagine peeking into a stroller and lifting the blanket and you see a bearded baby. I, I know, I'd be thinking, that's weird. You see, a follower of Jesus who, who doesn't prioritize others and use the riches and blessings that God has lavished on them to serve and help and love and pray for others is like a bearded baby. And perhaps you've never realized this before, but you are a minister, a minister of Jesus Christ. So I just want you to say that to yourself right now. I am a minister of Jesus Christ. It, it can feel awkward, but that is what you are as part of the body of Christ. I mean, you think about how many people it takes to serve and to run our, our power kids and our student ministries. And on an average week right now, we have about 96 volunteers. People who give time out of their week to prepare a lesson or to, to spend with, with kids, to, to meet in groups with kids, to do things. I mean, how many does it take to welcome you, give you coffee, provide for your safety, make all the tech work, schedule the volunteers, move chairs, play the music, sing, preach, teach, park cars, change diapers, hold babies. These are all volunteers who are using the gifts and abilities and passions that God has given them to serve, to build up the body of Christ. You see, that? <clears throat> by my estimation, my count, 
And I know I miss some. We, we have almost 300 volunteers who serve every week in some way. You might be thinking, but man, I can't, I can't do anything. And you may feel like that's true. I mean, it, sometimes it's hard enough just to get here. But I want to I wanna encourage you. Can you pray? Can you mail a note of encouragement, send an email, call someone to pray with them, pull weeds, hold a paintbrush? Can you slap a label on a box that's going to feed hungry families across the world? You see, there is a place and a purpose for everyone. You may also be thinking, well, I don't, I don't know what I'm good at. You know the best way to, to find where you can serve in the way God has shaped you to serve is by serving. Spiritual gifts are, are less about supernatural abilities and more about ministry opportunities. Inventories and tests and assessments can be helpful and, and a lot of fun, but the number one way to find out how God has wired you is to serve. You see, if you asked me to make coffee for all of you, we'd, we'd, we'd have a problem. <laughs> at another church, my assistant was running a little late and we were having this meeting at the church building and I had to get the coffee going for the event. Um, here's the problem, I, I don't drink coffee. I like the smell, never acquired the taste. And so I, I'd never made coffee, let alone for 30 people. So I went in the kitchen, I put the filter in the coffee thingamabob and, and, and grabbed a can out of the cupboard that said coffee and, and filled the, the filter almost full of, of instant coffee granules. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt bad for those poor people who, the first ones to arrive, needed a good cup of coffee and, and took a first sip of toxic espresso. Let's just say our, our drains were full of coffee that morning. I tried, but I realized there's more capable, passionate people who love coffee to make coffee. You see, it can be as simple as that. We need people who are willing to get up a little earlier to make coffee for everyone and then run around refilling the empty ones. And that's just one of 100 different ways you can serve others. I don't drink it, but I love our ministers of coffee who are busy serving early on a Sunday morning. It, it makes everyone just a little bit more happy. <laughs> so say it again with me. I am a minister of Jesus Christ. We need each other. How can we, how can we help each other walk worthy? By using the gifts and the ways God has shaped us to encourage and serve one another. But serving was never meant, done to, meant to be done for the sake of just serving and ministering. Using what God has given us to serve gives the body balance, encourages the body to grow and mature. This is how Paul concludes. He, the, the point being that a worthy walk develops maturity and stability. It develops maturity. It develops stability. You see, God gave us these leaders in the church, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is at the head, that is Christ. 
From him, Christ, the, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, God's desire for us is not to sit and soak and stay the same, just a little bit smarter. No. He wants us to be the kind of people who are reflecting Jesus more and more and more in our lives. He wants us to develop the mind of Christ as we read and study and listen and learn how to discern, how to discern and live out God's truth. He wants us to connect with one another, to connect with the other parts of the body as we're connected to the head, Jesus. That's what maturity looks like. Someone has said, we're only young once, but we can be immature indefinitely. In other words, it's, a, it's possible to grow old without growing up. Jesus didn't give his life for us so we could just simply grow older in Jesus. He wants us to grow up, to mature in our faith in him. Verse 13, are we there yet? I, I don't, none of us are. See, because growth and, and building up process takes time. You, you don't learn how to swim by watching a YouTube video on how to swim. You got to get in the water and practice and train. And in, in the same way, we won't grow in our faith without getting into serving others and using the gifts God has given us. I know people sometimes get discouraged by this process. But I want to encourage you, pursue progress, not perfection. Pursue progress to be more and more and more like Jesus. It takes decades to grow a mature oak tree. It takes a few months to grow a squash. We were never intended to be spiritual squash. And so as we grow, we become mature, and that maturity leads to stability. And Paul describes the opposite of this as being blown around in the wind. We can become too susceptible to whatever direction the wind is blowing. Whatever blows by us in print, on our laptop, our phones, the TV, from the lips of anyone who seems credible, off we go like a, like a plastic grocery bag across a parking lot blown by the wind. Instead, verse 15 tells us, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Literally, verse 15 reads, be truthing in love. Maintain the truth in love, practice it, live it, walk in it. Francis Bacon said, it's not what men eat, but what they digest that makes them strong. Not what we read, but what we remember that makes us learned. Not what we preach, but what we practice that makes us Christian. You see, we don't want to just grow older together. We need to grow up together, hand in hand, as we walk a worthy walk with consistency and humility. And so today, is, is your talk consistent with your relationship with Jesus? Does your walk with Jesus match all your talk about Jesus? Does your daily behavior match your beliefs about being a child of God? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you or just how blessed just thinking about the spiritual riches of these first three chapters and Lord, to know that, that we are loved and chosen, part of your family, Lord, redeemed, sealed by the Spirit, adopted into your family. Father, thank you. I pray that 
All of this is matched by the weight of our lives and how we live for you. Father, help us to walk a worthy walk. Lord, help us to maintain unity with humility and generosity and patience and bearing with each other in love. Lord, that there might, it might create this beautiful unity in the body to which the world points at and says, that's different. That can only be from God. Lord, I pray that we would be that city on a hill, that light in the darkness. Lord, help us to find our, our place to serve and love and give so we, so we grow and, and grow up together in maturity and not just grow old together. Father, thank you for connecting us to you, for connecting us to the head, Christ, and connecting us with others, Lord, that we can take part in the plan and purpose that you have for this world. Father, thank you that you give us the opportunity and privilege to join you in that work. Lord, we love you too, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it's been great being with you. Take care. Have a great day.